Sunday. So, as opposed to the other Sundays that aren't good. In 1971, here in Legrand, there was a home group that met as part of a congregation here in town. They had multiple home groups. So this one was led by a mathematics professor up at the university. And in their home group, in as part of a church that specifically denied the gifts of the Spirit, baptism, tongues, and healings and things, they began to experience those things in their home. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, spontaneous tongues, some physical healings, not a whole lot, but some. But mostly they were praying for hours, some of it not in English. People just went through a, a revival. Because some of them were speaking in tongues, they were told by their congregation to renounce it and quit or leave. So they left and started this church. In 1974, actually it was three days after I was born, this congregation was officially incorporated as a church. They hired a pastor. First pastor's name was Ralph Euler. He was a retired Assembly of God pastor uh, from California who came out of retirement to take this church and uh, build this congregation. In 1975, this property was purchased. The well was dug, and this building was constructed. It was in the newspaper at the time, the groundbreaking, shows the pastor with a shovel and the elders standing behind him, you know, they do the ceremonial first shovel full of dirt, to break ground on this building, and the, and the caption on the photo says, a temporary sanctuary will be built, and a larger real sanctuary will be built later. Well, 45 years later, here we are still in the temporary sanctuary. Uh, this is what they built in 1975 and we're still here. So a transcript of a prayer and a prophecy that was delivered over him at a meeting in California. Uh, the leaders of what was then called Bible Temple Church in Portland, now it's called City Bible, it's Frank Damasio and, and uh, Dick Iverson and uh, now has become MFI, which Pastor Josh and I are members of. It's our organization, our association. The leaders were there at a retreat in California and Pastor Ralph was there, and they began to pray over him regarding taking this congregation and building this building and building up this church. And, and a, a man named David Schock, who was, uh, I believe he was an elder in the church and a Bible professor at, Bible, at Portland Bible College, uh, began to prophesy over him. These are Assembly of God people. These are what was called in those days the full gospel people. Brother Shock, as he was called, they called each other brother in those days in the Pentecostal church, and began to prophesy over Brother Euler, and he began to speak about what this church would be. And I have this transcript on, on paper, and he said, the first recorded thing we have about the identity of our church is that Legrand would have a witness to the full gospel in the last days. When Pentecostals and Assembly of God and full gospel people use the phrase full gospel, they mean sin and salvation, yes, but also the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, tongues, miracles, healings, the full gospel, the entire new covenant is what they meant. And so this church was born as a full gospel church, and it's definitely the core of our DNA. You will not see people rolling on the floor or running around the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but there is prayer for healing and prophecy and tongues and the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit in everything that we do. What I want to do this morning is tell you uh, who we are, 
What's our prophetic identity? Who is the Lord said that we are? Why do we exist as distinct from our sister churches all over the valley? Not because we're anything special. Uh, Every one of the churches where Jesus is preached and proclaimed as the Son of God, we're all brothers and sisters and everybody's equal. But we all have distinctions. There's a reason why there's a Baptist church and a Mennonite church and a Catholic church and a Pentecostal church and a Foursquare church and, and us. I used to think that it was wrong of us not to be able to just all meet together. Let's just, let's just meet together. All the Christians in the whole valley, we should be able to get along enough to be able to worship God and preach his word and not have all these different congregations. But that's wrong. I was wrong. It's, it's right that there is different faith and different expression of faith as long as Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only way to salvation, we're all brothers and sisters. There are some people who have totally lost the plot and they don't preach sin anymore and they don't preach salvation. But the majority of the churches in our valley where Jesus is named, we're in good relationship with and we love and we bless and you've been around here, you know we pray for them all the time. That's why I do the pastor's picnic because we we all need to stick our heads out of our gopher holes every now and then and, and realize that uh, my little uh, gopher hole is not the entire kingdom of God in this valley. And that God does have actually people all over doing various things. But we all have distinctions. In ancient Israel, there was 12 tribes. And every tribe had their own territory and their own leaders. But God said, you must be unified in two things. You must come together three times a year to worship me at the feasts. And if one of you is attacked, you all go to defend. You must defend each other and you must worship me together. Otherwise, you are fine to have your own distinct identity. It's fine that there's Baptists and Catholics and Foursquare and Mennonites and Methodists and so on. It's fine as long as we're unified enough that we can proclaim Jesus together, worship him together, and when one is attacked, we defend each other, which is usually the opposite of what we do. We're the ones doing the attacking. Mm-hmm. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen this morning. Come on. All right. So what is distinct about our congregation? Who are we? If you're a longtime person around here, you know some of these stories. I doubt if everybody knows all of them, but I just want to go through them to remind you who we are. If you're a guest with us this morning, praise God. Bless you. If you're looking for a church, uh, you're going to find out who we are, and we may be a fit or we might not be. That's great. Um, If you're just hanging out with us this morning, grace. God bless you. All right. We are... Legrand's witness to the full gospel in the last days, that does not mean that other churches don't also preach the full gospel, it's just what we are. We are at the very first recorded instruction or identity of us as a church is that God called us to be a witness to the full gospel. And everything we do is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, David Schock continues that prophecy to Pastor Euler, our first pastor, Again, I was less than one year old when this happened. I lived in Missouri, and I didn't know I was going to marry a girl from Cove and end up being anything around here. And I did not grow up in a church that was full gospel or Holy Spirit anything. In fact, I was told by everybody around me, including my parents, that that was all a fraud. It was fake. It was force and manipulation and emotion. And I was trained to be very afraid and skeptical of it, and then it happened. And I had my, God rocked my world, and I'm glad he did, because I had a lot of questions after that. All right, God, I didn't make that up, Lord. <laughs> All right, so David Schock continues his prophecy over Ralph Euler when he says, Legrand is going to have a witness to the full gospel in the last days. And he said, and this church that you will build, that, is, that you're starting, will be an armory and a citadel in your valley. 
So a citadel is a fort, and not just any fort, but a citadel is the interior part of the fort inside of the outside wall. The citadel is the most fortified place inside where once you fight on the outer wall, if that gets breached or your gate gets broken down, you run into the citadel, which in the medieval times in the castle was called the keep. It's the center. It's the most fortified, strongest place. This church has a military identity. We are to be a fort in this valley, a place for people under attack to come and run and be safe. Unfortunately, every church, but this one too, lots of dangerous and bad things have happened. Um, and I had one girl tell me, well, church is just the place to come to get hurt, which we all know if you've been a Christian more than a week, you know that's true. Uh, but <laughs> was supposed to be a place of refuge, of retreat, of safety, of protection, of strength. So this building is not the citadel. Our relationship with the Lord and our re- together is the wall. Hello? All right. It's not your individual relationship with the Lord. You don't, you don't have any strength in that. We have strength together. Our, together, our congregational relationship with the Lord and with each other are, are, is supposed to be a safe place to retreat when there's attack. And there's another picture here of a Middle Eastern citadel. The citadel is the high point on the top of the hill inside of all the rings of walls. It's the place where you innermost retreat to, the safest, strongest place. There's another a third picture of a, a type of citadel. It's in Italy, top of the hill, inside the city walls. If the, if the walls were breached, then you ran into the citadel. That's, that's the word the Lord used as uh, Brother Shock prophesied over this congregation, that we're to be a citadel in this valley, a safe place when people are under attack. Also, we're to be an armory. An armory is a place either where weapons are manufactured or where weapons are stored and people come and get equipped to fight whatever battle you have to fight. So that's spiritual training, that's strength, that's encouragement, it's biblical knowledge, it's wisdom from mature, older soldiers who fought those battles, strategies, hello, come on. So we are an armory and a citadel. The fort is a place of safety, of retreat, it's living quarters for the soldiers between battles, it's protection in danger. Um, The armory is resources, it's teaching, it's equipping in righteousness, it's training, it's being sent out because when you're a soldier you may rest and your base may be at the fort, but it's not where you stay. You're a worthless soldier if you never leave the fort, unless that's what you're assigned to do is be a guard on the wall or some other job there. Soldiers are sent out. Jesus is continually... Sending his disciples out and calling for the world to come. And the world won't come and the disciples won't go. Come on, Jesus is always telling us to go and the world to come. And we're the ones staying and not going. And they're the ones not coming. And they want to stay where they're at. We, got it, we all got it backward. A fort is not home. A fort is not a place to live. It's a place to go to get, it, to get your armor and get your weapons. And then you go on a mission. So if this church is your home, we don't use the word membership here, but if it's your home, if we're your family, or if you want it to be your family, we're fort. So there's only three options. You're either here to get equipped, or you're doing the training and the arming, or you're out on a mission. There is no other option. You're either here to get armed up and go back and fight your battle, or you're on, you've already been armed up and you're on your way out for the battle or the mission, or you're helping run the fort. So my question is, how are you 
getting equipped or who are you equipping or what mission are you on? Do you have your marching orders from the Lord? Another identity of our church through prophecy is that we are a hospital. Obviously, a hospital is where wounded and sick people come to get healthy. Um, and that happens in every church. Again, we are not special. It's just this is who we are, specifically. We're, to be a hospital, people come sick or wounded, and they get nursing care, they get aid, they get rest, they get whatever they need to make them healthy. And again, a hospital can never become a home. It's not you don't stay. After you get healthy, you go. I, before I was pastor, I had absolutely no idea how many people come through a church. Uh, people show up and they get all excited and, yoo-hoo, yay Jesus, or yeah, I love your church, I'm all in, and then three months later they're gone. Or they come in desperate for help, they're wounded after addiction or a bad divorce or financial need or whatever comes and we help them and we serve them and we pray for them and there's financial help and and there's relationship and we bring them in and then after they get healthy they leave most of them don't even say thank you they just don't show up again it made me angry it made me sad I felt like a failure as a pastor because I'm I'm we're helping people but we're not adding disciples I was this is what I was thinking And the Lord very, not mean at all, but very sternly, very seriously said, do you expect them to rent an apartment in the hospital? You go to the hospital and they get healthy. That's what you're there for, is to get them back on their feet, spiritually and emotionally, whatever else they need, and then they go back home. Your church is, this is Jesus speaking, your church is how I take care of these people. That helped a lot. Okay, Lord, that's what we're here for. Not getting used. That's what we're there for. So, again, if you're part of this church, who are you taking care of? If you're not one that's desperately wounded, if you're coming in with a leg chopped off, then we don't expect you to help out. We're going to heal you up. But if, if you're the one that's now been healed and you've come in and, you, and this is your home church, who are you taking care of? It should be continuous. You can't just say, well, God, I, I'm busy and I'm just going to step back during this season. Doctors and nurses don't get to do that. Christians don't get to do it. It's our assignment. We're here to heal people. Amen. Next one. Back in um, 99 or 2000, the associate... the pastor of the church when it was founded back in 75 his name is Ron Leach he's uh, the leader of MFI Canada now in British Columbia but for three years he was the associate pastor here he ran a Bible college Ron Leach was the associate pastor here and he came back to visit in 99 to 2000 2001 sometime and he preached on the gates of Jerusalem and he used okay Jerusalem it represents the kingdom of heaven the new Jerusalem is the kingdom of heaven and that the gates of the wall of Jerusalem in the Old Testament represent people and even congregations. The gates are how you get into the kingdom of heaven. It's the passageway into God is the gates of Jerusalem. You with me? And there are gates specifically listed in the Bible. The Jerusalem, there's the horse gate, the water gate, the sheep gate, the gate of the prison, the old gate, the north gate, the south gate, the east gate, the west gate, the upper gate, the fish gate, the gate of Ephraim, the king's gate, the gate of Joshua, and the fountain gate. And there is one other gate, and it's this one. It's still there. 
in Jerusalem, it is the Dung Gate. And he told us that this church is the Dung Gate. <clears throat> Thanks, God. That's lovely. That's a sermon you want to remember for a long time. We're the Dung Gate. So what is the Dung Gate? That's it. That's the actual Dung Gate in the city wall. From I mean, That's from before Roman times there uh, and Jesus' day. The Dung Gate is right up against a cliff drop-off that is the Valley of Hinnom, or as Jesus called it, Gehenna, which is the name for hell. Because right outside the Dung Gate is a, draw, a rock drop-off where they would dump their trash and their sewage buckets over the edge. And there was continual fire there where the trash was burning. And in the end of the king's period in the Old Testament, there was a statue, an idol of Molech there where they would sacrifice their children on a trash heap. Is that not a prophetic picture of hell? I mean, it's just unbelievable the craziness that went on in this little canyon right off the side of the city wall of Jerusalem. The dung gate is the gate where <laughs> the dung goes in and out. It is also the gate closest to hell. Uh, C.T. Studd said, I want to run a mission a yard from a gate of hell. So I guess that's us. Uh, his point in the, when he preached this as our identities is this is the church that's going to receive the trash that nobody else wants. And you're going to clean them up and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. It is the gate where the dung, the off-scouring is Paul's word in the New Testament, the off-scouring of the world comes in to the kingdom of heaven through the dung gate. We get the people nobody else wants, the people that churches, other churches wouldn't put up with or take care of, and it's also where we wash them off, clean them off, and then we take that bucket out and throw it away. <laughs> I had a woman tell me after first service, she said, I came to Jesus through the dung gate. I, she was really dirty and messed up, and she came through the dung gate and got clean. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So that's us. If you want in on it, thanks, God. That's great. That's a great identity, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> All of that was before I was pastor. I don't get to come in and set my own agenda, my own direction, and jerk the church around. A lot of churches get jerked around when they get a new pastor. I have to come in, and I got transplanted in here in 99 when we moved here, and then again in 2008 when I became pastor. I come in to something the Lord is already doing, as did every one of you. So even though none of us were here when uh, this church was identified as a founded as an armory and a citadel and a hospital, we come in and we become part of that. We don't get to just redefine what God is doing and choose a new direction. And so I have to submit to that. that I, that's, that's what the Lord did. It's what the Lord called us. It's what the Lord has assigned us to do. And I take that seriously, even though I wasn't even here when that stuff happened. It is the word of the Lord over our congregation. And even though we're a different group of people, it's still one continuous congregation, and the root that the Lord's planted is still what is growing today. And we got grafted into that. Amen. What the Lord told me uh, very clearly just a week or two after I became the pastor in 2008 was he gave me Isaiah 35. I want to read you the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses. Isaiah 35 was a scripture the Lord showed me very clearly and powerfully. I know this scripture is for our church. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. 
The context of this scripture is that in chapter 34, God is cursing Edom and he's saying, I'm going to judge you for your sins against Israel, my people. And Edom had a beautiful, well-watered, healthy, good land. And God said, I'm going to turn you into an utter wasteland. I'm going to wipe you clean. But my people who live in a desert, they are going to flower into a garden and a forest. The trees and the flowers are going to come up and I'm going to water them, meaning with his blessing. Hello? This is the context of this. The wilderness and the wasteland, that's the people of God. Ultimately, this scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the living water. And this is talking about the wasteland that was your heart, your life. And he made the flowers grow and the birds sing and the trees come up. And you are now bearing fruit in what was a dead wasteland of your life. Anybody besides Ken excited about that? Come on. Come on. Your life was dead. You were a barren desert inside, and now you are full of life in Christ. The wilderness and the wasteland, that's your heart, will be glad for them. The desert will rejoice and blossom as the rose. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon are the resort spa areas, the scenic areas of Israel. And God says, I'm going to make the desert as scenic as Mount Carmel and Sharon and Lebanon, where the famous forest was. There will be no barren wasteland in my kingdom, in my people, is what God says here. Next two verses. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. This is our assignment. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are scaredy cats, be strong, God is with you. He's going to replace what was broken. He's going to replace what was lost. He is coming with vengeance. What was done against you that somebody hasn't repented for, he will bring you justice. He will take care of it. That's our message. That's our command. God, this is the message we preach. God will come and save. And guess what happens when we come and preach the salvation of God? Then the blind eyes will open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When God brings us alive, the desert of our heart gets watered and we come alive and we preach, God will come and save you. Then the deserts in other people's hearts come alive and gets watered with the water, living water of Jesus. And we see healing, lives restored, broken bodies healed. You become the one who is made alive so that you can bring water in the desert to other people. Next two verses. The parched ground shall become a pool, the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each one lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Jackals are sort of Middle Eastern coyote type things. I think they're quite a bit smaller than a coyote even, but um, they live in wilderness areas. God said you had, it's a demonic picture. You had jackals living in the wasteland of your heart. I'm going to make you a resort spa where other people come and get healed. <laughs> a highway shall be there, a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. This is the verse that I most know that this is what our church is to be, is the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. God says, when I turn the desert into a garden with lush grass and flowers and trees, there's going to be a road there through the garden, the highway of holiness. 
He said, this road will be so well marked out that even the stupidest person can find it. (laughs) And they're not going to get lost on this road. Where's the road? The road is your heart. You are, we together are the road. We mark out the road of holiness. We point the way to Jesus. Because where does this road go? Look here. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This road that we are to build is to be so, the righteousness, the holiness in us, together as a group, is to be so well paved that everybody can find God. Everybody who comes here can find God. I had a dream years ago where people in our church were building a road through the mountains. It wasn't exactly eastern Oregon mountains. It was thicker forest than that. We had a really steep hill, very steep hill. We were going up the side of the slope and working really hard with axes and saws and bulldozers, digging out stumps and making. We ended up with this little dirt path up the side of the mountain, switchbacks and all. I got to the top and... There's a six-lane freeway up there with trucks and, like, why were we building this road? Because there's already a freeway here. But what the Lord told me was that you were at the bottom and you needed to get up there. <laughs> and building a road is hard work where there's not already a path or a road or a way to go. And it always starts small and it's rough. And eventually, over time, it gets widened and lanes are added and lines are painted and Eventually, you have a Southern California freeway of people on their way to heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, that's Isaiah 35. Next, in 2000, Sarah and I uh, attended our first presbytery here, a prophecy meeting, and we were terrified because we were certain that God was going to expose all of our sin and hypocrisy in front of the whole church, that the the word of the Lord was going to be, yes, I see all your sin and you're a failure and you're, you're a hypocrite, but that's not at all what happened. Uh, we had some visiting ministers, some prophets come, and Jack Loman, who was the associate pastor at City Bible Church, uh, he sat us down and he said, I see a progression of harvest equipment. He said, I see like a hand scythe and, and shocks of grain, and then I see a, some sort of a horse-drawn equipment, and then I see great big combines moving through the field. And, and this is in 2000, way before I ever had an inkling of a dream that I would ever be a pastor. I was teaching school in Elgin, and that's all I was ever going to do. But he said there, he said, this is not just you two, Mitch and Sarah, it's the whole church. This is, this is a church that's to bring in the harvest. And uh, Ken had uh, a word about, a vision about the harvest years ago that he told us about. And, and I got another combine type word from a group of pastors in Tri-Cities a few years ago that we are to be working the fields, bringing in Jesus' harvest out of the, out of the field. So, my question is, is your combine fired up? Yeah. Lastly, another picture the Lord gave me several years after I was pastor. Again, I'm in this situation where I'm feeling used by people who have come into the church. They were coming out of rehab. They were homeless, jobless. They had kids. We helped out some with finances, but that not a whole lot. We don't do a whole lot of that. But some, and there was 
prayer and there was support and we brought them in relationally and, and they were here about a year and then they left without saying goodbye, without saying thank you. And I was burned. I was, I, it wasn't the first time and it certainly wasn't the last time. But I, I realized when they left, like, God, I really feel just like they just came in and ate us up and left. And God gave me this scripture. Jesus says this in three of the Gospels. This is the record in Matthew. 13, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And again, Jesus was not mean, but he was very strict and there was no wiggle room at all. He said, I planted you there and you grow fruit and the birds will come and strip you clean and leave. He said, what do, you think you're, what do you think you're growing fruit for, Mitch? It's not so that you can can it for next winter. He said, the fruit that you are producing is to feed people now, today. He said, my kingdom is, I plant trees and the birds of the air, they fly in, they eat, they poop, and they leave. That's what I was feeling like. Like, I... Uh, I'd really been dumped on and used. And Jesus said, yeah, that's exactly right. That is what happened, and it's going to happen again, and it's why I put you there. It totally changed my ministry paradigm. I got straight from Jesus through this scripture. My job and our job together, your job, is to be there. Just be there. You will have people come in and need you desperately and you will help them you will feed them I mean spiritually you may feed them physically but I mean spiritually emotionally you will take care of them you will nurse them back to health you will help them out and they will poop on you and leave and Jesus is very pleased that's all he expected just be the tree your faith is to grow into a tree that feeds other people your mustard seed of faith is to be, grow into a tree where you become shelter and food for others who are desperately in need. And that may be your grandkids. Uh, it may be neighbors. It may be classmates at school. It may be, who knows, somebody who comes through this church. I don't know what it is, but your job is just to be there. Be the tree. Next scripture from Isaiah 61, also about trees. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You know, Jesus quoted this scripture as his sort of mission statement, so it's ours too. We proclaim liberty to the captive, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful crown instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Why are we proclaiming this freedom to the captive and the prisoner and good news and gladness and joy? And why are we proclaiming that? So that people can grow into oaks of righteousness. That they may be called the planting of the Lord, that, they, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. As we proclaim the gospel, that is our fruit, liberty to the captive, freedom to the prisoner, joy to those who mourn. As we proclaim God's good news, that's our fruit that we bear, 
we rebuild the devastation, the ancient ruins. People's long ago destroyed hearts. The walls of their life, emotionally and spiritually, are destroyed. They get rebuilt in confidence and encouragement and strength. And as we do that, we are growing into oaks of righteousness. And we, the trees that provide the fruit for people, we are rebuilding the devastation of many generations. Some people come through here, and we help them out, and we serve them, we love them, we tell them about Jesus, and they say, thank you, but no thanks, and they leave. Other people have stayed, and the devastation of generations has been reversed. They're the first person in four generations in their family to serve the Lord because they finally got a hold of Jesus because there was a tree there for them to land in. An oak of righteousness. You are to be an oak, I'm to be an oak of righteousness, and what we end up with is a forest. This church is a forest of trees for the birds to come and find shelter and food. Just be there, be planted, be steady, weather the storms, don't move, stand deep, roots, and let people come in and out of your life and just take care of whoever comes and goes. Some of them will stick and the devastation of many generations will be rebuilt as you minister to people and take care and you proclaim liberty to the captive. Others are just going to be the birds. They're going to fly in and they're going to eat and they're going to poop on you and they're going to leave. Jesus is pleased. Be the oak. Be the tree. Just be the tree. We're the forest that is the hospital. We're the forest that is the fort. Do you see it? It's all the same thing. We're there to take care of people, to provide safety, refuge, training, healing, equipping. So I, my question this morning is, what is your role? What are you contributing? If this is your home church, what are you doing? Because we're not a church that exists unto itself. Unfortunately, a lot of churches get that way. A lot of Christians get that way where church and Christian life become a self-perpetuating cycle of one event after the next and we just go from season to season and event to event and holiday to holiday and, and the church just exists to entertain the saved instead of win the lost. Hello? Jesus never, ever planned an event. He was just there and the events happened. But he didn't organize carnivals. Not that carnivals are wrong or VBSs or Christmas banquets. We do all of that. But with the point of us getting together so that people can find Jesus. Amen. We're not here to entertain you and you are not here to be entertained. You're here to serve the Lord. So you're either helping run the fort or you're equipping other soldiers or you're out on your own mission. There's no other option. This church is a hospital. You're either nursing and helping people get healthy or you're wasting everybody's time. We're building a road, a highway of holiness. Help us out. Join in the road construction crew. We're harvesting. Are you harvesting? We're growing faith into mustard seed trees. Are you growing? What is your role? We have a calling and assignment. Specifically, that's our identity. That's us as a church. We have a God-ordained purpose, as does every congregation in this valley that God has planted. We have a God-ordained purpose in this valley, in this county, in this state, our country, our world. You can join if you want. Join in. I don't know what your specific gift and calling is. You need to know that. You need to know who did God make me? What is my gift? What's my assignment? How does it fit here? 
Well, if, if you are part of our church family, and I know some of you aren't, but if you are, we need you. We are not complete without you. And you cannot be who God made you to be without the rest of us. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. You cannot serve Jesus by yourself. It is mathematically impossible. It is physically and spiritually impossible for you to be a Christian on your own. You must have a congregation, a group of brothers and sisters you are tied with and serving with. And you need us and we need you. So whatever your call and assignment is, I know mine is Ezekiel 33. The winter of 1999, we're living in Cove and, and God fell on me and I was up most of the night on my face begging God not to call me to be a watchman. It was a super spiritual moment in my life and after I just read Ezekiel 33 and I, I did not want to be responsible for all of your heads. I, 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 even then I had no idea that meant being the pastor of the church I was attending for only a year at that point, not even a year at that point. I had no idea that eight years later, nine years later, God would make me a pastor. I just knew he called me to be a watchman on the wall and I did not want that assignment. <laughs> My assignment is not to be a pastor. I, although pastor means shepherd and any leader, especially in the Old Testament, is called a shepherd. So that's what I'm doing. But my call is to be an a watchman. I don't know what yours is. Contribute whatever it is God has t given you to contribute. You signed up with Jesus. This is the fort you're stationed in. Get to work. We've got some old trees around here. Some of you have been transplanted in a lot more recently. But if you were, if you were here when Pastor Tom was pastor, so this is between 91 and 2001, stand up. If you were, if you were here when, when Tom was pastor. Now, there was maybe 15 or 20 in first service also. Thank you. You can be seated. These people, that includes Sarah and I, these people have been here at least 20 years serving and working and praying and giving money and time and blood, sweat, and tears. And I don't mean that those of you who have come since then are not trees in the forest. You are. You're growing into trees. But I just want to honor those who have been around a very long time. There are some old trees around here that have been planted for a long time and serving faithfully. And, and uh, God keeps adding more. More flowers in the garden, more trees in the forest. And, and uh, together, he's got a job for us to do. He's got a purpose. And, and we're all joining something that God made before any of us were a part of it. We submit to that identity and that calling and that this is who we are. 